today we're finishing the series we call Divine Misunderstandings, and I just want to put up for you on the screen so you can see where we've been. There were six statements that Jesus made or actually extended or expounded upon, and it all went like this. You have heard it said, whatever, now I say unto you. And here's where we've been. These topics that Jesus talked about covered murder, adultery, divorce, breaking our word, an eye for an eye, we talked about last week, and love your neighbor and hate your enemies is the statement we're going to talk about today. Now, if you look at all six of these, they have one thing in common. They all have to do with people. Isn't it interesting that the statements that Jesus thought needed the greatest clarification and were the most misunderstood, were the ones that had to do with our horizontal relationship and how we interact with each other. That tells you a lot about God's heart, doesn't it? God is very interested in how we treat one another. Speaking of uh, how, how, we, how we treat people, how many of you think that in our, our present world that teachers are probably one of the most underappreciated groups of people. How, how many of you, would you agree with that? How, how many teachers do we have in this room? How many teachers do we have? Just lift your hand up for a second. W- would you just give our teachers a hand today and thank them for what they do? God bless you for what you do. You're, you're our champions and heroes, and uh, you're making a big impact, probably, probably even bigger than you know. So um, teachers have to deal with a lot. All kids aren't easy to deal with. Come on, teachers. Where are you at? You're safe. You're in a safe place today. You're not at school. You can talk about it. I, I found an example of this online. I found an exam that a kid took, and although he answered all the questions, he got a zero. And so I brought some of his answers just so you could kind of see what we're talking about. Um, here's question number one. In what battle did Napoleon die? His last one. <laughs> Number two, where was the Declaration of Independence signed? At the bottom of the page. So you you get what's going on. What is the main reason for divorce? Marriage. What's the main reason for failure? Exams. We didn't have those. Nobody'd fail, right? Number five, what can you never eat for breakfast? Lunch and dinner. If you throw a red stone into the blue sea, what will it become? Wet. Number seven, if you had three apples and four oranges in one hand and four apples and three oranges in the other hand, what would you have? Very large hands. How can you hold all that fruit? Like a cornucopia in each hand, right? How how many of you would agree, and you teachers, you you can shout as loud as you want, some people are just harder to love than others? Yeah? Well, this is exactly what Jesus talked about. Some people are harder to love than others. And that's what today's message is about. Jesus called them enemies. So Matthew chapter 5, 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Of all six of these statements, this one may be the most important because it kind of ties all the other ones together. And it may be the toughest one because most of us feel justified in hating an enemy, right? You're like, well, I didn't didn't decide to be the enemy. They decided to be my enemy. Therefore, 
I'm justified in hating them. Because this is a hard truth to accept, I want to approach this statement from a, um, from a different point of view. Rather than, if you're taking notes this morning, rather than just giving you points, <clears throat> what I thought I might do is just highlight questions that arise from this real tough truth. So here we go. Question number one. Who are our enemies? Now, you've likely never been a victim of invasion by a military enemy in your hometown. Probably none of us have. You probably have not been held hostage, or most of us have never had anyone try to kill us. Maybe a few, but most of us have never had an attempted murder on our life. Very few of us, if any, have ever suffered real persecution. So when Jesus is talking about enemies, who are we talking about? At its most basic level, let me give you a definition of an enemy if you want to write it down. An enemy is someone who turns against you. An enemy is someone who turns against you. So under this definition, someone can be a friend for a while and then later become an enemy. Under this definition, someone can be a friend in one moment and shift and become an enemy in the next moment. Because with the, with the shifting of the wind, they've turned and are now actually working against you. Now, Jesus is not talking about enemies on the other side of the world. He's talking about personal enemies. It could include your spouse, your children, your grandparents, your neighbors, your classmates, relatives. Sociologists tell us that our enemies and our friends tend to come from the exact same group. Haven't you found that friends come and go, but enemies tend to accumulate? Isn't it a lot easier to lose a friend than it is to lose an enemy? Why is that? Nothing seems more natural than to hate those or to wish evil on those or to want bad for those or to actually work against those than those who've turned against you. And if we're not careful in relationships, resentment gets built up, walls go up, and the next thing you know, we're actually working against each other. We're trying to undermine or to inhibit or to hinder or to slow down or to frustrate another person. Yet Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus had a specific concern about how we are to treat people who turn against us. So who are, who are our enemies? Our enemies are those who, who turn against us. Number two, here's the second question that seems to just jump from this passage. When did God say we are to hate our enemies? When did God, when did God ever say that? Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Well, here's the answer. God never said it. Now, this is an important point. I wish I had more time to talk about this morning. There are only six uh, sayings that religious leaders had that Jesus addressed and not only, in, but in this one, not only did they have a divine misunderstanding, they were actually misquoting God. And you know why they misquoted God? Because we hear what we believe. We don't believe what we hear. We read into the Bible what we already believe. We don't read from the Bible the truth. We all have that tendency. And so you get crazy beliefs built on uh, people who quote Scripture. 
So, I mean, in a, time, in a time of segregation in America, you would hear people quote Scripture to back up their belief that segregation and racism was right. It really matters that you not just hear what you believe. It matters that you hear the truth. It matters. And so, this is, there's a whole story there, but this, this is, um, over time, uh, the thought had evolved and worked itself into their belief system, even though it was not taught in the Bible. And God didn't say, what did God actually say? In the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament law, God made it very clear on how we're to treat strangers and foreigners, and even those who hate you were to treat them with respect, were to love them and treat them with dignity. Uh, Matthew 5, the very next verse, verse 45, listen to how Jesus explains it. He says, He, speaking of God, causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Jesus is using this illustration of the sun rising and the rain falling as a way to say, look, God causes the sun to shine on good and bad people. He causes the rain to fall on good and bad people. Why? Because God shows his love to good and bad people. Now, how many of you would go ahead and admit it's a lot easier to love somebody who you think deserves it? And our tendency is to treat people who we think deserve love better than people who we think don't deserve love. And never are we more unlike God than when we do that. Because God's not like that at all. Why? Because God causes the sun to shine on good and bad. He causes the rain to fall on good and bad. God, God has stubborn love. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, you didn't do good this week. You didn't measure up. You didn't go to church. You didn't do this. You did something wrong. I, I disassociate. I disown you. God's not going to do that to you. Why? Because God... God has a whole different um, ethic than we do about people. This is Jesus saying to us, love is not about whether we deserve it or not. Love is about the Father's heart for all people. It's a whole different view. So, when did God say, hate your enemies? He did not. <laughs> Here's the third question. How then should we love our enemies? Like, like, like this, this, this is one of the toughest teachings ever. So how do, how do we actually do it? Matthew 5, 46 and 47, continuing in the same passage, if you love those who love you, what, will, what reward will you get? Isn't that easy? The easiest people to love are the ones you lo that love you the most. Right? That's easy. Are not even the tax collectors do it? Look, even the IRS does that. <laughs> right? You pay your taxes on time, you do it all. Man, they love you. But is that what we're talking about? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So what, what, what direction could you and I move? What steps could you and I take if we were going to try to seriously live out Jesus' words here of not just loving our neighbors, but loving our enemies. Here, here's some thoughts if you want to write these down. Um, one thought is, very, very simple, greet them. Just greet them. H how many times do we see someone who's hurt us, and instead of walking toward them, we walk away from them? Right? 
We're in the store. We're out in public somewhere. And we say, you know, before I check out, I think I'll take one more loop around that outer rim of the store in case I forgot something. And the truth is, I don't want to see them. Well, well, one thing we could do to people who we think have turned against us is we could step toward them and say, hey, how, how are you? You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be fake. But you could just step into that space and say, hey, I, I, just, I just wanted to say hi. I saw you, and I just wanted to say hi. I don't, I don't want to ignore you. So, so if, we, if, we benefit, if we greet our friends only, there's no benefit. Jesus is basically saying sinners do that. One part of loving your enemy is to greet them instead of avoiding them. Smile, handshake, a wave. You, you ever see somebody and wave at them and they just blow by you? <laughs> you're like, wow. And what's your first thought? I won't wave at them again. And what's Jesus' thought? Wave at them again. You see the difference? Greet them. Here, here's another um, thought. Do good to them. Luke chapter 6, 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. There's only one way you and I are ever going to be able to do good to our enemies. We're going to have to be able to see beyond the pain, the frustration that they caused us, and we're going to have to see beyond whatever caused the person to act that way. We're going to have to be able to see beyond it. We're going to have to see them as a person that God loves, and we're going to have to see them as a person who probably has some deep inner brokenness that is causing them to act the way they act. It probably has less to do with me and you and a lot more to do with the brokenness that's inside them, and what's happened, what they did to you is just an overflow of what's going on inside. And when we begin to see them that way, when we begin to see them through the Father's heart, it, it can empower us and change how we can respond and react to them. So doing good means doing what will promote their healing. Doing what will promote their healing despite the way they've treated you. So you make the first move. You send the email. You pick up the phone. You make the contact. You bridge the gap. You set the appointment. Uh, when I first moved to this community almost 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to, to have lunch with the mayor of Pelham. And I asked the mayor of Pelham, I said, what do you think the greatest need is in, in Pelham? Here's what he said. He said, we have a large number of people coming from outside our community moving in. And it's like we have two groups that are disconnected, people from here and people not from here, primarily Hispanic and, and, and they don't interact, and, and, and it's a huge need. We need to be able to interact and be able to connect. And I think that's one of the places that our church can step into our community and make a difference. I would love for Kingwood Church to have the reputation and Kingwood people to have the reputation. When you see someone not like you, you're the first one to stick your hand out and say, Hey, I'm, I'm glad to see you. What's your name? Would that not be an incredible reputation for our church to have? Do you know a third of the people who live in our community are born outside of the state of Alabama? Wouldn't it be an incredible moment for us to be able to bridge the gap, take the first step, take people who are different than us, different than you and I, and reach across those lines and say, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. 
Bridge the gap. Stick the hand up. Be the first one in the room. You're stuck at the DMV. What are you going to do? You're stuck at the driver's license office, in case you don't know what that is. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. Who are you going to talk to? You're going to talk to the people most like you. I challenge you to find the person most different from you in the room and reach out to them, the one the other people are ignoring, and reach out to them and say, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Uh, what's your name? Tell me about yourself. And you'll be shocked how that moment that the government has organized for you to be four hours of misery can turn into a blessing because you said, I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to initiate beyond my race, beyond my economy, beyond what's familiar, beyond what I like, beyond what's comfortable. Now you may say, but what if they don't respond well? Well, that doesn't matter. You can't control that. But you shouldn't change what you can control because you're forecasting what someone else might do. Go ahead and do what God put on your heart to do. All right, here's another one. Refuse to speak negatively about them. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It, it means don't say negative things, and it actually means don't think negative things. Don't, don't allow yourself to meditate on the demise of your enemy. Don't allow yourself to meditate and to ruminate and to, and to um, um, reflect just over and over and over on how you might work against someone who's worked against you. Because it will make your heart bitter. It will frustrate you. Every time we talk, life or death comes out of our mouth. The question is, what's coming out of your mouth, life or death? In many cases, forgiveness isn't possible because we just won't stop talking about it. And you know why? Because thoughts and words give life to our wounds. If we keep talking about it and thinking about it, we're never going to be able to forgive because we keep the pain alive. You have to starve the pain. Not deny, not ignore. You have to face it. You have to deal with it. But there's a point where you're not dealing with it anymore. You're just living in it. And, and, and you, you have to shut that part off. Here's the truth. You can criticize your enemies or you can pray for them, but you can't do both at the same time. So you have to make a choice. Here's the, uh, uh, one other thought on how you and I can love our enemies. Bless, bless them, and pray for them. Sometimes when you bless and pray for your enemy, here's, here's the part. Um, if you look in Matthew chapter 5 in this stretch of passage, earlier are the Beatitudes. The meek shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the, uh, 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 those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so, for they will be filled. So that's the Beatitudes, if you recognize those. That's where Jesus is working on the inner character of his followers, and it flows straight into these relational things. From the inner character flows this. So sometimes what you and I need to do in relationship to those who turned against us has absolutely nothing to do with them and everything to do with us. Let me give you some examples. Sometimes God will use. Did you hear that? God will use those who turn against you to get you into a season of isolation so that you will turn to Him. 
One day you wake up and say, everybody's against me. God's not. And, and, and of, course, of course, everybody isn't either. That's just how you feel. But when you feel isolated, you will tend to turn toward God. And that season of isolation becomes a rich well of joy and strength when you find that your place of healing is with Him. But sometimes you have to be cut off from the people you're depending on around you so that you might be, you might be pushed straight into the throne room of heaven. And sometimes God, it's quiet today, sometimes God will use your enemies. Sometimes God will use those who turn against you to mature you. You, you and I got some rough edges. And sometimes it takes some rough people to scoot up next to us to bump them. And to take some sandpaper off and start filing them down. How will you and I ever learn to love our enemies if we only have friends? Right? Oh, God, help me love my enemies. You don't have any. Guess what you're about to get? Congratulations. You've inherited enemies. And the truth is, if you live long enough, you don't have to look far. Uh, we're like magnets. So we attract them. Sometimes God will use those who turn against you to surface the bitterness that's already in your heart. And, and, and you begin to say, what, 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 where does this anger come from? Why did I overreact? What that person did, if I just back up a little bit and breathe, what that person did wasn't that bad and did not certainly warrant the reaction that I gave it. And so then you begin to ask, well, why did I do that? Because there's something inside you that needs to be healed, and God is gonna go, God's not going to send that enemy necessarily, but he's going to go ahead and use that enemy to surface this inner anger and frustration that's left over from who knows what. And he's going to bring it up. You know why? Because he loves you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. He's trying to pull it out so that you can be whole, so that you can be well. Of course, there are also times that, it is, that love your enemy is about your enemy. If we don't pray for our enemies, who's going to pray for them? If we don't pray for our enemies, how are they going to change? How will you and I ever explain sending missionaries into hostile parts of the world if we don't understand this scripture that Jesus says, no, no, don't hate your enemies. Hate your enemies means let's bring all our missionaries home from every difficult place on earth. Well, that can't be what it means. Love your enemies means we got to send missionaries even into hostile places. A couple years ago, I was at a pastor's meeting and a, a friend of mine who's a, um, who's a missionary in Malawi uh, told a story that was so moving to me, I just wanted to share it with you. Um, he, he was discipling a young man named, named Riaz, and Riaz came with two friends from Pakistan to, to learn and study ministry, got his degree, got his master's degree, and he went back deep into Pakistan into a very volatile area to plant a church. And he walked by foot into a village that hadn't had a church in generations and may have never even had a church in history. Nobody knows. A Christian church. And so he met the tribal uh, chief. He uh, rented a little lean-to building. 
He started uh, sharing the gospel and meeting with people. And in 18 months, that church grew from his little family unit to 200 people. It, it was a, a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. Can you imagine behind the lines deep in Pakistan in a hostile country? Uh, shortly after, a violent mob rushed in during one Sunday morning service, came to the, to the pulpit, grabbed Rios in the middle of his sermon, drug him down the center aisle out to the street, and, and beat him senseless in the road with no explanation. Some people in the church, after the mob had cleared, they came and got him out of the road. They, they uh, snuck him out of town. They put him on a train with his family. He went uh, to a safe place. He was in the hospital for 60 days, healing. When he got out of the hospital, he spent a little time with his family. He got back on the train. He rode right back into that town, and he, and he set that church back up and continued to, to love that community. And he's still there. Last I heard, he's still there. He and his wife and children are still there. Now, how, how do you explain hate your enemies <laughs> if that's how we're supposed to act? He embodies the spirit of Jesus in that moment. So, so let me give you, a, a, if you want to write this down, let me give you a, a simple way to think about this, okay? Pray for your enemies until they become your friends. Pray for your enemies until they become your friends. And here, here's why. Because when you pray for your enemies, both of you are going to change. You cannot invest yourself in praying for those who have turned against you without it doing something powerful and good inside you. And you cannot invest yourself in praying for those who have turned against you without it doing something in them. Now, it's up to them how they react, but God's going God's to do things in their life. So here's the last question. Why should we love our enemies? <laughs> we'll, we'll cut right to the chase, okay? Because God does. Just a, very, just a very simple answer. Today's Palm Sunday. Today's the day that marks the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week is the, um, is the week of Jesus' last uh, week on earth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was about to enter the most difficult week that any human being had ever known. And as he rode into Jerusalem on a little donkey, he rode into uh, crowds cheering and celebrating and waving palm leaves and welcoming him. Here's the thing, though. They really weren't welcoming him. They really didn't want him. What they wanted is a political and military overthrow of Rome and they thought that Jesus was going to give it to them so they really weren't his friends just hours later they showed their true colors when they turned on him they were actually enemies and Jesus humbly and gently rode the little donkey straight through Jerusalem and, and endured all the fanfare even though he could see right through it and he knew what was going to happen the next day who better to teach us how to love enemies than Jesus Right? And then a few days later, Jesus sat. It's excusable on some level to have people work against you who are um, not close to you. But a little while later, Jesus sat at a small table with his disciples, and one of those 12 
Judas turned against him and betrayed him. In some way or another, Jesus was turned on at every level. Now, before that gets too impersonal, let's think about it this way. At one time or another, you and I have all been enemies of God. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care what you were taught. I don't care how early you got saved. At some point in your life and my life, we, we were enemies of God. Now here's the question. When you were an enemy of God, how did God treat you? Did God curse you? Did God hurt you? Did God strike out and try to wound you? Did he try to teach you? Did he try to pay you back? Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see that? While you were a sinner, while you and I were enemies of God, what was God doing? He was working a plan to send his son Jesus to earth to show you a revelation of the greatest love the entire world's ever known. So how does God treat his enemies? He loves them. So how do people who follow God need to treat their enemies? We need to love them. Matthew 5, 48, this is the last verse in this entire section we've studied for six weeks. This is the last verse. Here's what it says. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now this verse is a summary of the entire series, and it's actually a summary of most of Matthew chapter 5. In short, it basically says this. Hey, be like God. In your dealings with other people, be like God. Treat them the way that, that God treats them. So basically, all these can be summarized is, you have heard it said, whatever, but I say unto you, be like God. How can you be like God? Well, well this, I don't know how this strikes you, but I've read this for years, and it struck me as heavy. Be perfect. How, how many of you that feels like way too much? <laughs> perfect? God, do you realize who you're talking to? I can't be perfect. How can I be perfect? So if you're not careful, this feels like this heavy-handed, legislative, hey, be perfect, measure up, follow the rules, do better. It feels like that, and that's not the right interpretation. If you look at this, the Greek word here for perfect, it, a better translation, I think, would be mature or whole. Now, And if we had time, I'd show you this morning other places in the New Testament this word is used, and it's never used in this context. Again, it's never used in perfection and measuring up. It's used in wholeness and maturity, and you could see that in the other context. So here's another way to think about it. Allow God to grow you and heal you. Each one of the difficulties is an opportunity for God's work of maturity and healing to happen in your life. So let's think about the six things we've covered, okay? Anger, lust, uh, divorce, deceit, revenge, enemies. So think about this. Never do you and I have a greater opportunity to grow and to heal than when we're tempted to misuse our anger, we're tempted to deceive, we're tempted to lust, we're tempted to divide, we're, we're tempted to act in revenge, and we're tempted to hate our enemies. Never do you and I have a greater opportunity to, to heal and to grow and to mature, to become like God and to be like God, but never do we have a greater opportunity to be less like God. It's like an egg on the roof of a barn. When those intense moments come in your life, it's going one way or the other. It's not going to stay, it's not going to balance on the roof. 
When someone hurts you, mistreats you, when a temptation comes in your life, you are either going to lean in toward God or you're going to lean away from Him. And so what, what God is actually saying here to us is when those moments come, He's not saying measure up, be perfect, do it right, get it together, get your act together, get in gear. That's not what He's saying. What He's saying is when that moment comes, Lean into God because never have you ever needed God more than you need Him in that moment. And never have the people around you needed to see God in you more than they do in that moment. So lean in. And that is a summary of the divine misunderstandings. Lean in. Would you stand with me this morning? ask our prayer team if you'd come every, every eye closed and you, would you just open your hearts for a minute today I, I, I wonder um, how many of you say I need to lean into God today there's an event, there's a moment, there's a, there's a struggle, there's a, um, a trial, a trouble. There's something going on in my life. And today, I, I, just being here, it's reminded me I need God. I need God's help. Can I tell you, this is, this is such an absolutely critical moment. Because it is the moment when you will either lean into God or you will lean away from Him. There, there's no middle. There's no staying the same. There's no, there's no in-between. You will either lean into God or you will lean away from Him. And it's critical that you lean into Him because God will do His best work in your life in the toughest moments. this morning if you have a need of some kind it might be one of these six things you know it might be none of them but you say you know what I need I need God today I need his help I need a touch in my body I need a provision I need strength I need wisdom I need clarity I'm, I just want you to know how critical this moment is it's not a it's not a passive little whatever happens, it'll all work out. It's not. That's not what it is. This is an absolute emergency in heaven. Because in, in, this, in this environment, in this moment, in this event, in whatever it is you're going through, you are either going to come out more like God or less like Him. And God wants to, God, God not only wants to shine His light through you, he wants to make you whole, and He wants to help you. And what you're going through may, may have absolutely nothing to do with you in terms of it's something that you caused. It might just be something that happened. But today, with your eyes closed, if you'd say, I need to lean into God. I need God's help today. Would, would you just lift your hand and say, that's me. I need God's help today. I need God's help today. 
would you just lift your hand? Say, I, I need his help. I need his help. Just lift your hand. Yeah, just lift your hand. Thank you. Just lift it up. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I just need to lean into God. Hey, man, that's what church is for, right? That's why we gather. <laughs> Pray for each other. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Strengthen each other. Here's what I want you to do. As I begin to pray, I want you to find one of our prayer team, and I want you just to come to them and say, would you just pray for me? I, I'm coming to lean, lean into God today. I'm coming today because I need God's help. And you can tell them why, or you don't, or you don't have to tell them why. But, but I, I encourage you, meet God today. Don't, don't, leave, don't leave this issue on your own shoulders. Don't leave this issue trying to do it all by yourself. So if you lifted your hand this morning or if you need to lean into God, I want you to come right now as our worship team is preparing and just begin to pray with someone. Lord, I thank you today that you're here. I thank you that you've come to meet the needs of your people and your family. Lord, I thank you that you love us and love through us. And Lord, I ask you today, Holy Spirit, that you would draw every person this morning that needs prayer. You draw every person that needs a touch from you. Holy Spirit, draw every person that needs to lean in on you today. Thank you. Come on, would you just sing this with the worship team? Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we Tonight at 5.30, uh, join us for SOAP. God bless you.